G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. As we do on a Monday, we like to check in with the Australian Christian Lobby on this coming week's political agenda. Martin Isles is the Managing Director of the Australian Christian Lobby back with us. Hello Martin, welcome back to 2020. Good morning Neil, good to be back. Martin, always good to talk, always good to get an update from you on what's happening right now. And I wonder if we might get a focus on what's happening in Victoria, because there is a move to remove prayer from the Victorian Parliament. Uh, Fiona Patton at the centre of that, attempting to remove the Lord's Prayer from the Victorian Parliament. What's the latest? Well, it just seems like it is one thing after another in Victoria, doesn't it, Neil? Um, There's always something going on down there, and Fiona Patton is often at the centre of it. She's a member of the Upper House, uh, formerly of the Sex Party, as she called it. Now it's the Reason Party. So, you know, she's uh, always trying to... Her, her particular focus seems to be to undermine the Christian religion, and she's quite uh, she's quite outspoken about that. She's very clear about the fact that she thinks that Christianity needs to be out of public life, out of politics, and that even that uh, Christianity has no business contributing, even in a democratic context, uh, you know, as part of a pluralistic democracy, a multi-faith democracy. Uh, she's very, very strong on excluding Christianity from Australia's heritage and, and, and the public life of Australia. And uh, her latest move is to get the Lord's Prayer out of Parliament. And for those who don't know, Parliament begins every day with prayers. And um, the Lord's Prayer is spoken Uh, along with some other words. And those um, members of parliament who want to be there tend to go into the chamber in the morning uh, to participate in daily prayers. It's not a huge number of uh, members these days, but it's it's a small minority, and they do so voluntarily at the beginning of each day. And I, for one, am very comforted to know that that happens. But also there is something so important about acknowledging God in a place of power because one of the really important, crucial things that uh, the Christian faith teaches us is that there is no ultimate authority except for God. So it doesn't matter how powerful you get on this earth, it doesn't matter how senior you are in your political party or your government, you are always under authority yourself. And that really, if a person believes that and knows that, it makes tyranny impossible. Um, It means that they know that every exercise of their authority will be given account for to God himself, who is the ultimate authority. And that's why Christians don't have such a problem with authority itself, because everyone's ultimately under authority. And that's such an important thing to remind our politicians of. It's an important feature in public life. And so for that reason as well, I think this is so important to keep the Lord's Prayer in our parliaments and in our public institutions. Now, We've been running a campaign, and the intelligence we've had is that our people have sent thousands and thousands of emails. I believe there's been about 11,000 sent uh, supporting the retention of the Lord's Prayer in Parliament. Uh, whereas only a few dozen emails have come into most MPs' inboxes opposing it. So that's a great thing. And if people want to add their voice to that overwhelming chorus of support, 
go to acl.org.au and you can fill in the campaign. It's right there. And I'll give the ACL website again towards the end of our conversation, but this is, as usual, when there are moves to change those things that are a part of our Christian heritage here, Martin, the idea of removing the prayer and very subtly saying, oh, we'll replace it with a moment of silent religious observance or reflection, which in itself sounds religious, but doesn't necessarily uh, meet, of course, this, uh, as you're talking about, this uh, idea of the transcendent God, uh, the law above all law. I mean, there's something very subtle in the way that this is being proposed, isn't it? Well, it means that nothing will actually be said or done at the start of the parliamentary day. So at the moment, people are actually praying and the Lord's Prayer is actually read out. And that is read out over the parliament and those who wish to be there participate. Uh, But if this idea comes in, it just means nothing will happen. It means there'll be a moment's silence before parliament begins. Nothing will be spoken publicly. Nothing will be said for the whole parliament. It just means that each individual will sit there, or only the individuals in the chamber, if there are any, why would you bother? Or the Speaker of the House will sit there in silence. And so it's a completely different thing. The effect it actually has in the real world is that it will remove that religious observance from the beginning of the day. It will make it into a nothing. It'll make it into a non-event in which people don't participate, or if they do, it's only personal. It's not for the whole parliament. So that's the problem with it. I mean, it's, it is subtle. That's, oh, well, you know, we're not really getting rid of it. But in practice, each day, it will be removed. Uh, There will be nothing there. Well, something listeners can participate in, very important, uh, especially right now for the state of Victoria, acl.org.au, the website to go to the Australian Christian Lobby website and be a part of that prayer in the Victorian Parliament and uh, the moves there to protect uh, that prayer remaining as is. Hey, there's big things happening right around Australia, Martin. A little focus on South Australia here, where the Greens are again trying to remove all laws in relation to prostitution in South Australia. Uh, What's the latest there? Can you believe it? I mean, they just keep coming back on this. (laughs) They lose and they try again and they lose and they try again. Uh, The whole point of the law coming on in South Australia is to completely decriminalise prostitution. Um, It has a lot of implications societally. I mean, for one thing, um, it would allow soliciting to take place on the street anywhere at any time. Uh, It would mean that a brothel could be built anywhere, anytime, um, subject only to basic zoning laws. Uh, It would mean that... um, you know, actually, a brothel owner could actually go and advertise at a career fair, for example, or could go to university career nights and say, this is a career, you know, come and learn about it. Uh, it also means advertising can occur very widely uh, for those services. Uh, they could even build shop window style situations like you would have in the Netherlands. Um, it would also mean that minors, people under 18, can be employed in premises uh, like brothels and so forth, so long as they're actually providing the the service, but they can work there doing other tasks. There's all sorts of issues with this. It's it's just nasty. It's got warts all over it. Uh, And as to all of these proposals, but here's something I want to say to people about this. A lot of people dismiss the prostitution issue as, oh, well, oldest profession known to mankind. Oh, well, if that's what people want to do, that's their business. 
I think people don't understand the grisly underbelly of the prostitution world. It is not like it is in movies, where it's very often presented in very glamorous, high-class contexts. That's not the reality of the prostitution industry in this country. In fact, we know that the majority of prostitution in a place like Adelaide is actually with trafficked women. So people need to understand something which I think is not widely understood. And that is that in the suburbs and towns and cities of Australia at this very moment, there are slaves and there are a lot of them. And they often have their passports taken off them and they are often put into sexual servitude and they often work many, many hours a day and they barely leave the premises, particularly from places like Southeast Asia, but also other parts of the country, uh, other parts of the world. The UN has even identified Australia as a major trafficking destination. This is the horrifying reality of prostitution. And when the Greens come along and say, oh, let's legalise it, I sit there and say, and I think every decent person who understands this industry says, no, this shouldn't be legalised. This evil needs to be stamped out and stamped out hard because the majority of what's going on here is the worst of the worst kind of stuff. It is modern slavery. And so, therefore, what's going on uh, is is really, really bad. ACL has a better option. We say, look, actually, the purchase of prostitution ought to be a crime and people ought to go to jail for it. Uh, and that way you will end demand for sexual services uh, in any state. And we've been advocating for that for quite a long time. We've made a fair bit of progress, and we do that because it's been quite effective, particularly in northern European countries. Um, and so people should pray for progress on that, because there are many, many women uh, who have found themselves in dreadful circumstances, uh, and the end of this industry, or at least the massive uh, limitation of it, is so important. And we will put up a campaign against that Greens bill in South Australia in due course, uh, and I'll even talk about it on this program probably next week. You've got to keep chipping away, haven't you, here, Martin? Uh, You've got to keep coming back. As you say, the Greens keep coming back with the same sort of bill. In fact, it seems to be it gets one step worse every time it comes to the South Australian Parliament. But uh, the idea of chipping away, you've got to have a little bit of backbone here and endure. So uh, for listeners who are wanting to participate in this and uh, trying to make a difference, uh, that's the sort of thing we have to be aware of too, isn't it? To be enduring and uh, see where this thing goes because you can't really drop the ball. Yeah, this is a really uh, well-worn tactic, I think, particularly of progressives. Uh, They're always trying to get these laws passed. And when they fail, they they don't actually give up. They'll come back again and again and again and again. And sometimes they'll come back 20 times. In fact, the number of times euthanasia went up to the South Australian Parliament, for example, I think it was something like 19 times. And they don't stop. And one of the key ways in which they end up winning is through what they call issue fatigue. People just get so sick of it. They say, make it stop. You know, we're so tired of dealing with this. And they end up just supporting it to just end the pain and to stop the frustration and to stop wasting their time. Politicians very often get get to that point where they say, I'm so tired of this, I'm just going to support it. And decriminalisation of prostitution is another one. And the reason I go through that is to say to Christian folk in particular, 
you've got to not grow weary in doing good. And that's a quote from the Bible, Galatians 6. You've got to not grow weary in standing against what is wrong and what is evil because it does take a bit of stamina. It's not a flash in the pan. It's a full-time job because uh, those who are trying to push upon us that which is wrong, they don't give up. They keep going. And it's really important that we don't give up as well. And, of course, you raise significant issues around the slavery issues that go on in prostitution. And uh, there's also that other dimension of children who potentially could be employed even on the premises of a brothel uh, where prostitution occurs. And maybe not being prostituted, but they can be there in the presence of all of that. And, uh, and the idea that police may even be hamstrung in investigating the use of children for prostitution or instances of sexual servitude in brothels. I mean, the the whole children dimension here is one that really needs some Mm. attention, doesn't it, Martin? Yeah, and I think uh, anybody with children is aware at the moment that there seems to be a concerted campaign to sexualise children and to corrupt them in that way. You know, one of the things children really need for a, a good childhood, I mean, they need things like security, they need things like love, they need things like a home, they need parents and all this, but they also need innocence. Um, and I do think that, you know, well, we, we know that our children are in crisis, they're in a mental health crisis, they're in, a, uh, they're in real trouble, actually, all the stats are showing this. Uh, and one of the reasons is they're robbed of their innocence uh, and the kind of um, abuse that can be perpetuated against a child um, you know, before they're even old enough to understand uh, the implications of all of this stuff is really serious. And that seems to me to be one of the very strong pushes taking place in society through all of the radical um, uh, sexualized content in schools, for example, and in education curricula, uh, and also in entertainment. And here's another example where literally brazenly they're passing a law which would allow the recruitment of young people to this kind of industry. Uh, Very, very nasty stuff. And uh, again, for the protection of children, young people, uh, it is something that needs to be stood against at every turn. We'll take heart in that biblical expression you used, Martin. Don't grow weary in doing good. And... uh, Keep chipping away there. Uh, Keep up with what's happening in the states and in the parliaments of our nation. A a little bit of a focus on the Northern Territory where there's another attempt to change Northern Territory laws in order to introduce euthanasia. What's the latest in the Northern Territory? Well, this is a move by uh, country Liberal Party Senator Sam McMahon, uh, who seems to be making a last-ditch effort here because... uh, Uh, Her time in the parliament is going to end because Jacinta Price has been pre-selected for the next election and Jacinta is a fantastic human being. But unfortunately, Sam McMahon is trying to get euthanasia legislated for the Northern Territory. Uh, And the, the the, the background to this is that the Northern Territory was actually the first jurisdiction in the world to legalize euthanasia back in the early 90s. Uh, now, it went really wrong. There was a character called Dr. Philip Nitschke uh, who was advocating for that. He uh, performed some euthanasias that were outside of the rules. The federal government made a move in 1996-97 to pass a law to override that euthanasia legislation in the Northern Territory and say, look, we're not having this. This isn't right. And that's a perfectly, that's a good principle decision to take. But of course, that law overriding the territory euthanasia legislation has been on the books ever since. And so that's why you have the federal parliament now 
being lobbied to allow euthanasia in the Northern Territory once again. And that's where we've come to. And so they never, as I said, they're relentless. They've tried this several times before and they're trying it again. Because this Philip Nitschke character actually went away and started an advocacy group called Exit International and has been responsible for coaching hundreds, if not thousands of people to commit suicide. He's a nasty guy. And euthanasia is something that is nasty because it is actually suicide by another name. Uh, suicide is not something we should ever sanction. It's not something we should ever actually call health care. Uh, and so we're standing against euthanasia coming to the Northern Territory. And again, there will be a campaign for that in due course. Interesting dimension that uh, you're raising too, I note, Martin, is an Indigenous dimension in all of this. Uh, this is very challenging for Indigenous communities anywhere, but uh, there is this focus that's coming uh, certainly from uh, Northern Territory and WA around uh, issues around uh, euthanasia. Yeah, I was interested to read this, actually. Senator Pat Dodson, an Indigenous senator uh, and a Labor senator, he made a really interesting point. He said, look, he said if any medical clinic or medical service was to offer an Indigenous person euthanasia, in other words, offer to kill them, he, he made a point. He said culturally, he said that would actually result in a complete loss of trust uh, between the Indigenous people and that health service. Um, I found that very interesting. I found it completely unsurprising, um, of course, and I don't know why more people wouldn't take that approach, but certainly the Indigenous people would, uh, and therefore it would actually undermine what is already a, a very challenging thing, which is the delivery of health services to remote Indigenous communities and Indigenous people who have some of the worst health outcomes in the nation. And so uh, I found that a very compelling additional dimension raised by Senator Dodson. He said it would compromise actually health in Indigenous communities, which is not something we need right now. Uh, Martin, running out of time, just quickly, there's lots of lockdowns going on in various centres right around Australia. How's that affecting your touring schedule? Because uh, you've been wanting to get in front of people. There's been all sorts of controversy in WA. You've got some dates that have been set for WA and in Tasmania. How is everything travelling at this point? Believe it or not, Neil, everything is travelling well, by the grace of God. So I know most of the country's in real trouble, but uh, we're actually getting around it. Uh, a Queensland tour is all done, so that lockdown's not going to affect us. We are on track to get into Western Australia through some tricky border hopping, uh, which we've managed to pull off. So we're going to get into Western Australia uh, for next Saturday, August the 14th. We'll start off in Perth with a bang. We're going to be at the Perth Arena um, and people can register online for that. Please do. Please come. It's going to be huge. Uh, and then we'll do Bunbury, Albany, Geraldton. And then we'll get to Tasmania and Adelaide, all of which are open to each other at this stage. So let's see how we go. New South Wales and Victoria have become longer-term missions now because of everything that's going on there, but we'll see near the end of the year whether we can pull those off as well. By the grace of God, Neil, believe it or not, so far so good. By the grace of God, and no doubt there are dates and there are venue locations on the ACL website. Let me uh, just in, encourage listeners, uh, check out the Australian Christian Lobby website. Make it one of your favourites to visit. Uh, look at all of the resources that are there, keeping up to date uh, with the issues as they are, in fact, attacking uh, certain uh, levels of our Christian faith uh, right around Australia, acl.org.au. And uh, especially for WA listeners uh, looking forward,
forward to next Saturday, the 14th of August. Uh, that's the that's two Saturdays, I think, away. Uh, Perth Arena and then Bunbury, Al- Albany and Geraldton. Uh, Martin Isles, the Managing Director of the ACL. Martin, thanks so much for your update today on 2020. Thank you, Neil. Always a pleasure. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.